Jesus Christ. You know, when we embark on the Sermon of the Mount, we started with the B attitudes, the eight B attitudes on uh, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Remember that? Remember, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Remember, blessed are those who are meek, uh, for they will be, uh, they, shall, they shall inherit the earth. And then from there, we begin to look at, after you know your identity, after you know the characteristics of those who are in the kingdom of God, then the next question is, then how do you live it out, right? How do you make it happen? So last Sunday, we preached on Jesus calling us to be light and salt of the world. To be light and salt of the world, to make an impact, to make a difference, to be influential in our sphere of influence and really bring glory to God the Father. And beginning in verse 21, actually in the same chapter here, and Jesus begins to uh, apply that light and salt of the world into very specific situations. Like, how do you deal with anger? How can it be light and salt of the world in your anger, in your emotions? Uh, how do you deal with lust, the desires of the hearts? And how do you be light and salt in your lust? Uh, how, how can you ha- be light and salt in your marriage? So one by one, Jesus begins to unpack that into specific situations. But before, before he does that, before he goes there, he would take a pause to teach us the view of the Old Testament. In this passage here that we shall read, Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 17 to 20, is Jesus' view on the Old Testament. Why is it important? Because Jesus' view on the Old Testament defines our view of the Old Testament. I believe even today, many of us try to shy away from the Old Testament. And many of us look at Old Testament and say, what is this about? When we look at the New Testament, it's like, well, I can relate to that. Jesus Christ dying for my sins, how to live for Jesus, how to be disciples, the Great Commissions, and all that. I can relate to that. But Old Testament is like so far away. The names, the countries, the, 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 the different groups, the nationalities. Uh, it's so hard to connect. So is it important? So for some of us, we just dwell on the New Testament. For some of us, besides Psalms that we like, you know, besides Proverbs, Proverbs that we like, we, we pretty much shy away from the Old Testament. What is Jesus' view on the Old Testament? Because that defines our view on the Old Testament. So with that, let me read you on the passage, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Matthew 5, 17 to 20. It says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus' view 
on the Old Testament. Well, Jesus reminds us that the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus. It is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Verse 17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You know, the, the law and the prophets are just a common, probably the most common way that Jesus, uh, the people at Jesus' time refer to the Old Testament. Uh, the law refers to the five books of, the, of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets refers to the rest of the Old Testament. And sometimes it says that the laws and the prophets and the writings, sometimes it says the, 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 the law, the prophets, and the Psalms uh, to further categorize the 39 books of the Old Testament. But generally, they are the same. They are basically saying that this is the Old Testament of the Bible. The law are being placed there to teach us about God's expectation of His people. But you know what? As we look back from the New Testament, looking back to the Old Testament time, we know that none of them were able to do that. They may obey some laws at some time, but they were not able to obey all laws at all times. So none of them meet that qualification. So he says the law and the prophets, he reminds us that there is a prophetic interpretation of the Old Testament. And without that, it will not be complete. And without that, it will not be able to reconcile with the New Testament. It is authority, word of God, because there's a prophetic element of Jesus Christ in there. Because the Old Testament points to Jesus. And Jesus fulfills that. Jesus completes that. Jesus makes the Old Testament fulfilled in Him. On salvation. On God's will for His people. Of God's plan for the future of humanity. It is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He completes the Old Testament. And that's why when he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. Because in his audience, some people were thinking. In chapter 4 of Matthew, verse 17, when Jesus inaugurated his ministry, his public ministry, he proclaimed that repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's coming. So some people in his audience might be wondering, now, a new kingdom coming with new constitution, with new rules? So, do I still need the Old Testament? And as Jesus was preparing the audience to hear the whole series of teaching based on the Old Testament, and the way he will teach that often began with, you have heard that it was said, and then one of the commandments like, thou shall not kill, uh, thou shall not commit adultery, right? And, but now... Let me say to you, you know, this is what happened. Now, when Jesus was beginning, was preparing the people for his teaching, he was afraid that some of them might feel that he devalues the Old Testament, that the Old Testament is no longer needed. And Jesus was teaching them that he was not discrediting the Old Testament that he was not just introducing the kingdom of heaven as something that is greater and better than the Old Testament. No, 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 no. He comes to fulfill it. So twice he reminds them that I have come not to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish it. Not get it? Don't get it wrong. I did not come to abolish it, but I come to fulfill it. 
the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus' birth was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1, when the angel came to Mary and said, what you conceive is from the Lord, and it fulfills the prophets. When, when Jesus was called, uh, Joseph and Mary was informed by the angel that Herod is going to kill the baby, and they fled to Egypt. Again, it says, it fulfills the prophets. And when Jesus came back, instead of going back to Bethlehem, he went to Nazareth, and then it says it fulfilled the prophets. They were fulfillment during Jesus's, at Jesus' birth and his ministry. But they were also fulfillment of Jesus' role as priest. He fulfills the Old Testament priest. The high priest will go to the temple and offer sacrifice for the whole nations year after year after year. But in the book of Hebrews, we are reminded that Jesus is the greater high priest. Once for all, he offered himself as a sacrifice. And he reconciled us with the Heavenly Father. And sins are forgiven if we receive by faith Jesus into our hearts. He fulfills the king of the Old Testament. None of them were able to establish a kingdom that is under God and be a light of the nation so that other nations will be drawn to follow God the Jehovah. But none of them achieved that. But Jesus will sit on the throne of David forever and ever. He is the eternal king. Jesus fulfills the priesthood. Jesus fulfills the prophetic voice. None of the prophets have actually were there at Jesus' birth, even though they prophesied that someone will be coming, someone will be coming and rescue the world and save the world, but none of them were able to see that with their own eyes. But Jesus is that prophet, that perfect, prophetic voice telling all of us the heart and desire of God. Jesus fulfills his role uh, in that sense, but Jesus here uh, is also reminding us that his interpretation of the Old Testament will complete and clarify God's intention and God's meaning of the Old Testament. You said this from the law, but I tell you this. You said this, but I tell you this. And Jesus is reminding the people that he fulfills that. He completes that, the meaning of that. Uh, Dr. Mike Wilkins uh, said this. He said, everything that the Old Testament intended to communicate about God's will and God's hopes and future of humanity find its fullest meaning in Jesus Christ. So can you imagine that if we only have Old Testament today? We have some hint, uh, some sketches, uh, some idea about what it we look like. But without the New Testament, the substance that Jesus comes and fulfills all that prophetic interpretation of the Old Testament, we will not fully understand God's plan of salvation and God's plan for humanity. The Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Uh, secondly, the Old Testament is lasting. Uh, look at verse 18. He says, For truly I say to you, Jesus used that word many times, truly, truly I say to you, amen, amen, it will be fulfilled, I say to you. Now he's used only once. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus affirms the lasting validity of the Old Testament. 
you know, the two phrases, until heaven and earth pass away, and until uh, all is accomplished is parallel. It's the same thing. Okay? Uh, until the heavens and earth pass away is the same as until all is accomplished. And they interpret each other. When all is accomplished, the heaven and earth will pass away. That will be the end time. When heaven and earth passed away at the end time, all will be accomplished according to the will of God. And, and this is accomplished at the suffering and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Initially, but it will be fully accomplished when Jesus comes again. At the cross of Jesus, the justification element has been fully accomplished. The sanctification is beginning with the Holy Spirit guiding us to be disciples of Jesus Christ. But our sanctification will come to full realization at the second coming of Jesus. And then that's when we will be ushered into glorification. Justification, sanctification, glorification in Jesus' second coming. God's word, God's word is eternal. The Old Testament is lasting. Therefore, he says, not one iota, not one iota. It refers to the smallest alphabet in the Hebrew alphabet, the, 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 the letter Yod, like a little curve. You know, even that will not pass away. And then a dot, most commentators believe that it refers to serif. Okay, the end of the letter, when you have a stroke, you know, there are some things that stick us up. Even that, everything will not pass. And Jesus affirms the authority of the Old Testament for all ages, even down to the smallest components of the written text. So people today, as we look at that, look at Jesus, how Jesus' view on the Old Testament is lasting, uh, it implies that the very word and all the word in the scripture are inspired by God. It reminds us that the Bible doesn't simply contain the word of God, but the word of scripture are the very word of God. That's how high a view Jesus has on the Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is lasting. And then Jesus Christ says the Old Testament is instructive. Look at verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of his commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Think about this. Think about this. Follow me. Think about this. If you follow Jesus' teaching and his view on the Old Testament scriptures, scriptures that he fulfills the Old Testament, don't, don't abolish it. I fulfill them. And if you follow Jesus' teaching continually that the Old Testament is lasting, isn't this the natural consequence? Isn't it the natural consequence that the Old Testament is instructive? It is to be practiced. It is to be taught. It is to be lived out. It's a natural consequence that takes us to where we are today. But remember, it is to be taught fully the whole counsel of God's word. Remember, it is to be taught from the perspective of how Jesus fulfills it and how Jesus interprets it. 
how Jesus interprets the intent and the meaning of the Old Testament. Otherwise, we will miss the whole point. So in the following passages, as Jesus prepared his audience to listen to him on how to be light and salt in different specific situations, Jesus teaches that anger, anger begins in your heart. So does lust. It's, it's more than just external behavior. And before the external behavior even happened, you already harbor in your heart some thoughts about that, some yearning, some desire about that. And you don't tamp it. You don't confess it before the Lord. You don't deal with that. It continues to escalate. It continues to escalate. It becomes an external behavior. It begins with the heart. Jesus was not just dealing with the law. He was not the letter of the law. He was dealing with the, 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 the law that is written in the hearts. Do you believe that? Are you convicted by that? And he, he continued to see that the, the, the marriage is to be preserved at all costs. Don't take it lightly. Preserve that God's ordained institution in marriage. And, and swearing or taking an oath begins with a commitment to be an honest person. You can play with it. You can sign contracts and find loopholes here and there. You can run away. But to be someone who can be taken seriously, it begins with the heart. Begins with a commitment to honesty. To be a man and woman of integrity. That's Jesus' interpretation of the Old Testament laws and commandments. And that's how we will teach and doubt. that's how we will practice that. Retaliation, fighting back, Jesus interprets that and reminds us about the importance of forgiveness. You know, one author puts it this way, you know, if we don't forgive, it's like drinking red poison and hoping that the red will die. If you do not forgive, it's like someone drinking red poison and hoping that the red will die. The red won't die. You die. It eats up your heart. It eats up your life. It eats up your character when you harbor retaliation, when you harbor anger over and over and over again without letting go. The red won't die. When you take red poison, you die. Jesus said, forgive, forgive. And that's how Jesus interprets the Old Testament law and make it more complete because he deals with the matter of the heart. He reminds us that whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments means take it lightly. Some people take it lightly. Even the little expectations, you take it lightly, you will lose it. You become the smallest in God's kingdom. And you know what? Jesus is directing his teaching to you and me now. He is directing that to the disciples and say, don't take the Old Testament lightly. But look at that from how I interpret that and live accordingly and teach accordingly. You know the Jewish rabbis, uh, they tend to categorize things. So they look at a certain expectations or commandments as more significant and others as less significant. But Jesus reminds them that the whole the whole 
Old Testament scripture is authoritative. And to be great in the kingdom of God depends on maintaining a high view of scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, and treating all of it as the word of God. And none of that will pass away until the world aspires. You know, Jesus compares two kinds of responses, like those who are least in the kingdom of heaven are those who disobey even the least of the expectation of the law of, of the Old Testament. And then he mentioned about the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and those who obey the weightier or the greater matter. What are those matter? Those are not the matter of the letter of the law. Those are the matter of the heart that Jesus is teaching in the Sermon of the Mount. He brings us to, ex he, he takes us away from external performance into the inner conviction of God's heart and God's desire so that whatever flows out from the heart will be congruent and will be consistent. He's not talking about ranking in the kingdom of heaven when he says list in the kingdom or, or the, uh, the, 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 the uh, greatest in the kingdom. He's talking about an indication of how we are committed to the word of God from Jesus' perspective. And I want to remind you and me, me included, that as we read God's word, as we teach God's word, we must teach the full counsel of God. As I mentioned in the introduction, many of us tend to be more selective. Uh, some would just read New Testament because it relates to us better. Others, you know, shy away from the Old Testament. Um, some would just read the gospel or the epistles, and we may touch some of the wisdom literatures, uh, like the Psalms and the Proverbs. Uh, but we, we tend to be selective but Jesus reminds us that this is the whole counsel of God. Read the whole counsel of God. Some will be selective in the sense of topics, like, I love the love of Jesus. But the judgment and the holiness, the sovereignty of God, submission to take up your cross to follow Jesus, those are things that don't attract us naturally. But Jesus reminds us, all is teaching of God's word. You know, this Nobel Prize winning physicist, a Danish, who fled to Sweden uh, at the Nazi Germany time during Second World War, and then finally came to the US. Uh, he was involved in the Manhattan Project. Uh, he was one of the earliest physicists who discovered atomic power, and he helped to create those things. Um, he gave a very wise uh, statement. The opposite of a correct statement is a false statement, right? But the opposite of a profound truth may be another profound truth. If Christmas falls on December 25th, it's a correct statement. Then Christmas falls on uh, December 26th, is a false statement. It can be both right. If one is right, one is wrong. One is wrong, one is right, right? It's a false and correct statement. But truth, truth is more profound than that. Truth is transcendent. God is gracious, but God is holy. God is gracious, he loves, that is truth. But God is holy and he judges, that is truth. But we have a hard time to reconcile a holy God and a loving God. Sounds so contradictory. We find it hard. We look at that as a statement, false and right statement. 
but this is truth. They are both right. He is holy and he is gracious. Jesus is fully human. Then he can die for us. But Jesus is also fully God, 100% God. If he's human, how can he be God? If he's God, how can he be human? To us, it's illogical. It doesn't fit our formula. But truth is transcendent. They are both right. Jesus is fully human and Jesus is fully God. We believe in one God, but he's a triune God in three persons. How can be one God be in three persons? How can be three persons be in one God? They are both truth. Even though they look like they are opposite, truth is profound. Truth is transcendent. The opposite of a profound truth may be another profound truth. I want to remind you that many of you have some issues that you love to pursue. Many of you have some uh, theology or certain elements of it that you, you, you fully embrace. And oftentimes you look at a different voice as an enemy. You look at a different voice, opposing voice, as like, they are wrong, I am right. But remember, sometimes, not always, sometimes the opposite of a profound truth may be another profound truth. So maybe instead of hitting them hard to the point of laboring them, maybe you should listen more. And maybe you should expand your understanding of the full counsel of God from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament. Then maybe we become more humble and more willing to listen and engage with one another and grow together. And finally, Jesus begins to invite us to come to him with a transformation of the heart. Verse 20 says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, those are the least in the kingdom or those are the greatest in the kingdom. They were already in the kingdom. They have different commitment to the word of God, but they were both in the kingdom. Now he talks about, you are not even in. <laughs> you are not even in. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. You know, to us today, say, of course, of course. They are hypocrites. Of course. They teach, but they don't practice. Like the scribes, uh, when, the, when the king from the Orient came to them and said, you know, where is the one prophesied to be the Messiah? And then he reads the scripture and says, well, in Bethlehem. And they went and seek the king. The scribes is like, well, I just read, you know, I just interpret. I just want to point you to a certain direction. Me, I don't need that. We look at them and it's like, wow, you know, dissonance. They have dissonance. They do not actually believe in what they teach, right? But remember, in Jesus' time, people held high regard on the scribes and Pharisees because the Pharisees take God's law so seriously and the problem is they took it so seriously that they only perform it as an outward performance. They didn't mean it. They want to show people how, how spiritual they are, how pious they are. That's their problem. But you know what? They are very serious pursuer of God's word. 
Same for the scribes. They will read God's word and they will copy the, the transmission of God's word very, very seriously to the point where they want to make sure every letter is being recorded accurately before it is passed on in the fear that they might be adding something into it. And they will count every alphabets in the page and see how many A's and how many B's and how many C's to make sure the next page, the copied one, shows exactly the same word. And to the audience of Jesus' uh, Sermon of the Mount who are listening to Jesus, it's not possible. How can we exceed the scribes in piety, in seriousness? How can we exceed the Pharisees? We can't measure up. No way. And Jesus said, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. When you think they are the highest, there's no one can do it. Jesus said, go higher. Where is that? Go to your heart. <laughs> go to the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Uh, is your heart open to Jesus? Are you poor in spirit? That's the Sermon of the Mount, the Beatitudes. Are you poor in your spirit to acknowledge your shortcomings before the holy God, before the righteous God, and say, God, I need you. Then you exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. That when you begin to mourn for your sinfulness, to mourn for your hypocrisy, to mourn for your pride, and say, I need a transformation of the heart. Otherwise, I will be my own captain of my life. Then your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. The scribes and Pharisees is wonderful performance. The scribes and Pharisees is wonderful interpretation of the Old Testament scriptures. But they do not have the conviction in their hearts. They do not have congruency in what is inside and what is outside together. So Jesus is inspiring people, inviting them to come enter into the kingdom of God by the transformation of your heart. Otherwise, you are not even in the kingdom. The outer performance is not as important as the inner transformation. But when you have the inner transformation, it will outflow into the outer performance and then you'll be congruent. And then you are in the kingdom of God. Not by the letter of the law, but by the law written on your heart. And come back to the Beatitudes when we acknowledge our poor in spirit, when we acknowledge that we need Jesus, then we can enter into the kingdom of God. It is about transformation of the heart ultimately. I want to just summarize it in this, in, in this saying about the message that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament by his substitutional death on the cross. And that brings about transformation of the hearts for those who follow him. Jesus fulfills that. And because Jesus fulfills that, he interprets that. He reminds us to have a high view of the Old Testament scriptures according to Jesus' interpretation. Now, I want to uh, share with you two applications today on Jesus' view on the Old Testament. Okay, one, I read the Bible, but the Bible reads me. We encourage our people to read the Bible, and many of you does that. 
Some of you even engage in a reading plan for read to the Bible one year. Others read to the Bible in three months. You know, like, you know, it's very challenging. But, you know, we love God's word in our church. We believe God's word is the highest authority in our church, in our lives. And we do our best to abide and to submit to the word of God. But remember, when you read God's word, God's word reads you. You know what I mean? When you read God's word and understand what it means and try to in- interpret that and try to understand, put it into context, look at the, the, the threats of God's plan of redemption and where it is, and try to understand in that part, you know, we read, we read commentaries and understand God's word. It's wonderful, but let God's word read you. That when it says pride, that you look at that and say, man, do I have that issue? The Bible is reading me now. Do I have to deal with that? Where does it show? Is my humility a camouflage of prideful spirit? Is it my hypocrisy that is covering up the pride inside. The word of God begins to read you and me. Don't just read God's word. Allow God's word read you. Like a mirror that shows exactly what it is. That's, that's the wonder about mirror. Whatever it is, it shows. You know what I mean? That's God's word. Whatever it is, it shows. But would you be willing to allow God's, God's word shine in your heart and my heart and submit to God's word? Yes, read God's word every day, every moment, as much as you can. But let the word of God read you. You know, we, we believe in the inerrancy of God's word. We believe in plenary inspiration of God's word. Those are big words. That means the whole Bible is God's word. We believe in the infallibility of authoritative God's word. That means it never fails across times. But we may not come under the authority of God's word. We must embrace the full counsel of God's word. Don't cut and paste and be selective, but ignore others equally authoritative word of God. They are the full counsel of God's word. And as human beings, our greatest challenge and the greatest difficulty is try to reconcile them, right? How, how does it reconcile? We don't know. It can only be reconciled in Jesus Christ. And therefore, if we are humble and willing to listen and willing to grow and look at issues more wider, maybe we have a fuller and better solution to some of this seemingly challenging and opposing truth that we wrestle with. We must have a high view of scriptures. Remember, truth alone doesn't transform. Truth alone doesn't transform. The scribes were not transformed by truth. They read the Bible every day. They copy the Bible. They teach the Bible every day. But it doesn't transform them. Truth applied transforms. 
That's what we mean by the Bible reads you and the Bible reads me. When we apply and submit to that teaching, then it begins to transform your life and transform my life. You know what? Jesus' audience only had the Old Testament during Jesus' time. And Jesus was explaining the Old Testament and helped them to understand his perspective of the Old, Test- uh, Old Testament. But today, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have a fuller picture than the audience who are listening to Jesus' Sermon of the Mount. And we are expected to be more matured. We are expected to understand more fully. You know what I mean? Because we, truth is revealed to us in a, fuller, in a fuller picture by the grace of God. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. So people, let's grow together and allow God's Word to read us. And secondly, I just want to apply that to remind you that Jesus is a Savior prophesied in the Old Testament. And as we come to the Christmas season, uh, we sing the Christmas songs, we read the scriptures to remind us that Jesus is the Savior of the world, prophesied in the Old Testament, in the laws and in the prophets as well, to remind us that He is the salvation, He is the Savior of the world. And this is the gospel. Christmas is gospel. <laughs> Christmas is about the gospel of Jesus Christ coming to the world to die uh, for us. And this is the gospel that we are talking. This is the gospel that we are sharing. And, and Christmas is a very lonely time. Uh, you know, it's a wonderful time of the year. I'll be home for Christmas that we sing culturally. Um, you know, only if you have a home. It's a wonderful time of the year only if you are connected with your loved ones. But not everybody can come home to a home that is welcoming, to a home uh, that is peace and, and harmony. Not everybody can come and, and claim that to be a wonderful time of the year. In fact, for many people, it's very stressful. But Jesus reminds us that He is the gospel. He is the Savior. And He reconciles us with the Father in heaven. And He reconciles us with ourselves. And through the Beatitudes teaching, then we can be gracious to others. Be merciful to others because you shall receive mercy. He reminds us to be meek, be humble, so that we shall inherit the earth. He reminds us to be peacemakers because when we are peacemakers, we shall be called sons of God. And it is through Jesus Christ that we are able to be reconciled, that we are able to be reconciled with God and with people, then it is truly a wonderful time of the year. Share the gospel. Preach the gospel when you come together for meals, when you come together for gifts exchange, when you come together with the loved ones. Remind them that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that as we come in the month of December and uh, preaching on the, the Beatitude and the Sermon of the Mount, reminding us that Jesus has a high view of the Old Testament and there's a prophetic voice, there's a prophetic interpretation and element in the Old Testament that fulfills, that only Jesus can fulfill. And today as we come together to proclaim the truth of God, 
Father, we pray that we will elevate Jesus. And we pray that, Lord, as we read your word, we are reminded that we will allow God's word to read us as well. We will come under the teaching of God's word and respond accordingly for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.